say good morning again. Um, so glad you guys are here. Uh, I see some people I haven't seen in a little while, so I'm very glad for that. Uh, we right, likely even have a new baby in the building, because uh, I see parents uh, back there. Um, and so glad you guys are here as well. Um, man, even on a cold day, people coming out, right? We remember that we're Coloradans after a few hours and that we can brave things like the cold. It's good. Um, but it is, it is good. It is good to be before the Lord. Um, I want to apologize to you right now. You know this never goes good when I start that way, does it? I want to apologize because I'm about to break something cherished for someone in this room right now. And if that's you, I want to apologize to you. Sincerely, I really do. Um, there's a poem that almost every one of us is familiar with. It goes by the title, Footprints in the Sand. Is there anyone who doesn't know that poem? And it's okay to raise your hand. i got a couple younger folks and Rick. Excellent. All right. Oh, and Dan. Okay. So the general idea of the poem is, is that the author um, has a dream and he, and he looks out at his life. And as he looks out at his life, there are two sets of footprints in his life. And, and there's scenes flashing in the sky of the various parts of his life. And the moments when it's the worst, there's only one set of footprints. Now, kind of upset, the author turns to Jesus and says, Lord, why is it that when I was in the worst of my times of my life, I was by myself? And Jesus replies, and most of you know this, well, it was those times that I carried you. It's very sweet. Okay, it is. It's also, and I just want you to know, if you love it for one reason, then, then keep loving it. Okay? Because Jesus is and does carry us through those hard times, okay? Um, the idea there is absolutely true. The trouble is, at least when I think about my life, and you might identify with this, um, if you were to follow the footprints of my life, they would not be along a beach, and they would not be straight, Right? If you were to follow the footprints of my life, there would be zigs and there would be zags. There would be moments where I was walking this way and then said, nope, and went this way, all on my own, right? There would be moments of rebellion where I turned and left. There would be detours. There would be knee prints, not just footprints, where I dropped to my knees either in desperation or in sadness. There would be butt prints where I simply stopped to rest exhausted and unable or unwilling to go. So suddenly, stubbornly sat down in the sand, not moving. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. There would also be moments where there were hundreds of footprints that walked next to mine. As the church urged me and pushed me on. Can I get an amen to that? All right, the second reason I don't particularly love that poem is because it's simply bad theology. It is bad theology to assume that Jesus only carries us in bad times. Right? It's bad theology to assume that, that, that there would ever be two sets of footprints. 
Because there is only one. He carries us through the good and the bad times. So remember, you're allowed to love it because he carries us through the bad times. But I actually want you to think about it and say, you know what? There is no good time in my life that I got through by myself either. Right? So those are the two reasons. There's one more serious note that I would make. And this is where, this is where Matt ruins everything. Dan made a joke this week, a Bible study about a podcast called Adam Ruins Everything. Um, so that was for Dan. There are times when the path that we choose to take is one that Jesus would not walk on. There are times in our lives where we decide to go here or to go here, and Jesus says, no, you're on your own. And that may be hard to hear, but we worship a holy God, a holy God who will not enter into our sin with us. And so there are moments, there are times, there are seasons where we find ourselves alone. Not seemingly alone, but alone. Because Jesus sees the path that we're going to take, and he says, no, don't do it. And we say, I want to do it anyway. And so there are moments in the sand where those footprints all by themselves really are just us. Now, I want to say just real quick, if you're a Christian, you know that Jesus is right there, right? He's right there. He's not far off. He's there for us and with us. But he lets us go down that by ourselves. And we're going to see that in today's passage. We've come from last week's message, which we found out that Jesus' soul was troubled over the sin in the world and what, what it was going to cost him to fix it, to save us on the cross. His soul was troubled. And we sat in that for a while and then we found, I pray, and I really do hope, that we found some comfort as well. Because Jesus himself was comforted even in that. It's amazing that the, the, the one who made us could feel troubled but also feel comforted. And we can, can walk away comforted as well. Today's passage is going to carry us into a discussion of unbelief. And I pray that it will also lead us into a discussion of faith's commitment on display in each one of us. Our passage is John chapter 12, verses 36 through 43. John chapter 12, verse 36 through 43. Now 36 actually started in last week's passage, and it bridges this paragraph break. Um, one thing to always remember is that like when the, the writer of John, when John wrote this, he didn't put numbers in. He didn't break it up. We do that for our own sanity so that we can find our places and we can kind of discern. So John just sat down and started writing and he wrote all of this. Everything we're reading right now in the last few weeks and will read for the next few weeks is one flow. But today we're going to be focusing on the second half of verse 36 and we're going to be working through 43. Let me read this for us. 
When Jesus had said these things, he departed, and he hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The Lord who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord has been revealed. Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said, some of the, or said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Friends, I just want to say, we've been really heavy lately in our scriptures. And it's one of the side effects of preaching through a book of the Bible. Uh, we tend to not skip things. We tend to not uh, pass over things. And that means that we have to deal with some heavy and hard things. And sometimes that's kind of time after time after time. And so what I'd like to do right now is pray as we come into this. Because I know this is going to be another heavy one for some of us. And I would love for the Lord to already begin working in our hearts as we enter into this. So God, I, just, I pray that right now, Lord, that we would have the ears to hear the eyes to see, unlike uh, those in the passage that are described here. I pray, Lord, that, that we would be encouraged and not dejected um, by your word today. I pray, Lord, that if we are convicted, it would lead us to repentance and to joy and to life rather than to running. God, I pray that we would trust in you today as you speak to us. And Lord, I do pray that every word I speak would be one of truth, one of your word. God, that we come from you. God, I pray there would be less of me today and way, way, way more of you. And God, we come before you and we thank you and we praise you. Amen. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Has God ever left you? Has Jesus ever turned his face from you? Do you feel like you are alone, struggling through? Have you once felt the Spirit's power, but now feel empty? Is something missing, but perhaps you can't identify just what it is? Do you know that it's time for a change? Friends, we're going to look at unbelief today. At unbelief. That's where we're going to start. Two kinds of unbelief. And then what we're going to do is take a look and see what, how Jesus responds to unbelief. And after that, yes, we're going to move. And what I want to do is actually take this passage and turn it over, okay? <laughs> and, and approach this from the, the other side, okay? From the faith-filled side. So that's our plan for today. So unbelief. There are, are two kinds of unbelief in this passage. And we're going to start in verse 37 and work through a few verses here. The first is what I would call total or complete unbelief. Okay, total or complete unbelief. It says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. 
so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This is a quote from Isaiah again. Lord, who has believed in what he heard from us? Sorry, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39. Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He's blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Friends, there is an unbelief that is total and complete. These are people that have seen and heard. They have seen and heard. Their eyes have beheld in some way. Their ears have heard in some way. But they refuse to. They cannot turn their lives over to him. John uses the book of Isaiah to illustrate this. First, with a quote from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Okay, when I want to turn there with us, and these scriptures are going to come up here. I realize that we don't have Bibles in the pews right now, um, and that if you don't bring your own Bible, then you don't have a Bible in front of you. And so um, all the scriptures I think that we use today are going to be up here. Um, And so we're going to be in Isaiah right now. Turn to Isaiah 53, verse 1, or look up here on the screen. Um, And we're going to see what John is doing with this first quote. Again, Isaiah 53, verse 1. And it would help if I could turn to the right page and not past one every time. Isaiah writes, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is a question. He's literally asking, who believes? He answers it then in verse 2 and 3. John doesn't give us 2 and 3. But when a New Testament writer takes a scripture and they use it, they're not just alluding to the words that are on that page, they're alluding to the words of of the rest of it. In verse 2 it says, For he, this is talking about Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. All right, so stick with me. Isaiah asks a question in verse 1. He says, who believes in this one? And then what's the answer? It's actually no one. No one is the answer. Right? That, that there is nothing in Jesus that, that the people who claim to be of God would follow. The Old Testament scriptures promised that God's people would reject God's Son. And that's a hard thing to hear. It is a total and complete rejection of the Son of God and along with Him, the Father. We see this built upon even further as John takes us to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. Again, this will come up here, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. This comes out of his call to the ministry, by the way. And here is what he says. It says, make, this is God speaking to Isaiah, by the way. 
Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. God calls Isaiah in his ministry to speak and proclaim the word that will blind and deafen. Why? Because God knows that his people are going to reject him. This has been foretold all the way from the beginning. And as John works through what's happening here in Je- uh, to Jesus in chapter 12, he brings us these passages. The scriptures are consistent from the beginning to the end that from God making Adam and Eve out of dirt to choosing Abraham and then to the nation of Israel to be his people, all the way into the New Testament when Christ chooses his disciples and writes all over the New Testament the theology thereof and the teachings of the new church that God is sovereign over salvation. God is in charge. And there will be those who do not enter in, and there will be those who do enter in. And he's sovereign over that. Those who won't are engaged in what I would call total, complete unbelief. And we know people like this. We know people, some of us maybe are them. Um, We have heard the gospel, we've heard the truth, we've read it, it's been preached to us, all kinds. And yet we won't believe. Or we know someone like this. Someone who we've shared the gospel with, who we've loved and cared for. And they just spit, either physically or metaphorically, in our faces. Church, if you are one of them or if you know one of them, we must pray that God would soften their hearts. Because the scriptures are clear that it's God who softens hearts. It's God who who melts this heart of stone. And we all had a heart of stone at some point or another. Some of us were blessed enough at age like six to have that melted away and the Lord worked and blossomed and has been growing us. Some of us more recent. God has called, he softened the heart, and he led us to him. See, the thing about those who are in this state is we don't know who they are. We don't. We don't know whether or not someone just hasn't yet come or whether or not they they won't. And so as believers, faithful believers, we pray that God would soften the hearts of those that we love, that we care for, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family. Because there's hope. There's hope. Going back to Isaiah chapter 6, right in verse 10, it says, hey, look, God says to Isaiah, hey, I want you to go preach. You're going to make the people dull. Their ears are going to be heavy. You're going to blind their eyes. They're not going to see. They're not going to hear. They're not going to believe. They're not going to understand. In verse 11, Isaiah looks at God. I pray that we would have this boldness with God. He looks at God. And he says, how long, O Lord? Isaiah's like, really, you want me to preach this? Like, for like a minute? Like a week? 
a year? I mean, is there a time when I will get to say the good news? He says, how long, O Lord? And God said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. This is especially vivid right now for us in Colorado. Even down here in the plains, we know what's going on up there. So even when there's only a tenth, the new fire will roll through. It will be burned again. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. And here the last word of chapter 6 says, The holy seed is its stump. See, what that means is that even though everyone, for generation after generation after generation after generation, rejects, there is a hope of life growing out of the stump that the fire left behind. How many of us have seen a green shoot come out of a dead stump? That stump is, of course, or that shoot is, of course, what? Who? Jesus. See, though, even though there are those who will reject, we know there will be those who will follow him because there is life in him. So that's the first complete unbelief. That's the first unbelief we see. Here's the second. It is what I would call the visible unbelief or the hidden belief. Let me say it again. The visible unbelief or the hidden belief. Belief. Verse 40, 42 and 43 in John chapter 12. So we're going back to John chapter 12. It says, Nevertheless, even or many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What John is telling us is that there actually are a whole bunch of people who believe. Like, they've heard Jesus speak, they've seen his miracles, and they're like, man, Jesus is amazing. But when it comes down to it, they don't tell a soul. They hide it because they're afraid. They hide it because they want to hold on to what, what they've had. They don't want to let go for something better. Trouble is, in Matthew 10, 33, Jesus says these really hard words to these people. He says, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny me, deny before the Father who is in heaven. People, we need to hear this. People with hidden belief are really people with visible unbelief. People with hidden belief are really people with visible unbelief. In other words, they don't believe. Not really. See, God knows it. God knows where their heart is and what's going on there. The interesting thing is I think the world knows it too. Sometimes we know it of those we love. The only ones that are really fooled are them. 
The only ones who were fooled are them. Those who think that they can confess Jesus in their heart, but never actually say anything out loud. That can confess it in their heart, but never live any part of the faith. It's like, hey, Jesus is my main man, but I do what I do. It says in verse 43 here in John chapter 12, that the authorities loved man's glory more than the glory that comes from God. They loved what they got from their position. See, these authorities, they're, they're pastors, essentially. They're church leaders, they're elders, they're deacons. If they had them, they didn't then, <laughs> right? Where in the synagogue, these are the people who led. These are the people who taught. These are the people who had some say, some power. They ran the board meetings. And they loved their positions. They loved their positions enough that they would not speak up and confess Jesus as Lord. The key word in here is more than. More than. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory of God. The only way I can think of that that would be possible is if they actually don't know what the glory of God is. See, they make an exchange. They accept the lesser and cast off the better. It's very similar to, the, to, to the, the words that we see in the Old Testament a few times where it says that they worshipped created things rather than the creator. Right? That, that the Israelites, rather than worshipping God, found a statue or made one and worshipped that. But isn't that the same thing we do when we idolize people in this life? Celebrities, politicians, when we hold them higher than we hold God? What they say, what they think, what they care. There's an exchange that is made. And I pray that we would not make this exchange for something lesser instead of something so much better. It makes me wonder what John would have written to us, right? He's writing of the, the leaders in the synagogue. What's he, would he write to us? How about this? They liked escaping in the high more than being found in Christ. Or this, they liked fleeting pleasures more than joy in the Lord. They liked their immediate security more than God's eternal security they liked their own way over god's way they liked the wide open easy path often taken rather than the narrow and difficult but right path seldom taken just got to ask you and I've, I've asked myself this this week and i've seen some ugliness so i will ask you so you can share in that with me this week what glory of God are we willing to exchange away for something in this life? Is there anything in your life that you exchange for what God wants for you and is doing for you and is showing you?
unbelief. That's what the Bible calls this. Now, I have known many men and many women who over the years have attended church their whole lives, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, even 70 years, only to one day realize, I'm not saved. For some of them, the fear of being found out kept them from receiving Jesus and declaring the truth that they finally saw the light. Right? Everybody knew they were a Christian all these years. How could they possibly come forward and accept Christ and be baptized? It would be embarrassing. But I've seen others who were willing to brave the thoughts and comments of others to share the joy that salvation had finally been realized in their lives. And what a testament it is when a 70-year-old person stands up and says, I follow Jesus now. I didn't all these years. I thought I did. I mean, who else in the room hears that and thinks, oh man, I need that too. I've also known many men and women who for years have lived their own way, doing their own thing upon hearing the gospel, have confessed and believed. For some of them, out of fear of losing family or friends or influence or position or anything else, they kept their faith quiet and quiet it became until it was nothing in their lives. For others, though, who declared to the world, to all that would listen, that they had been saved, those who would declare out loud that they are Christ following and do so with their lives as well, they were saved and and empowered by God to press on and become new people. If you're hearing this today, and you need to give your life to Jesus and declare it out loud, today's the day, okay? If you've never done so, if you've never been baptized, you think, you know what, I need to declare to the world in baptism that, that God is working in my life. That's one of the ways we do that. Church, friends, heed this. Those who would deny Jesus will be denied. And that leads us to our response of Jesus to unbelief. The response. What what response does Jesus make to unbelief? What do we see in verse 36? That first words of this passage, it says, when Jesus had said these things, what did he do? He chased them down. He yelled at them in their faces. And he dragged them back. Right? I mean, are you reading this? Oh. What does he do? It says he departs from them and hid himself from them. Friends, it's terrifying. Just think on that. We have convinced ourselves that if we run from God, that he will just chase us down forever says here that if we don't believe 
that he hid himself from them. Guys, Jesus is not frustrated. Jesus is not in the corner moping. He has not taken his ball and gone home. Jesus is responding to their unbelief as God always responds to unbelief. He does his thing and he lets us do our thing. This is the pattern we see throughout the Old Testament. Right over and over again, Israel gets rescued by God. They have a few good years. They're like, yay, God. And then they're like, but we really like all the other gods. We like doing our own thing. We like all this stuff. And what does God do? He says, all right, have fun with that. Now, it will remind us that even in that pattern, what happens when they eventually realize their sin and they realize their struggle? This is the beautiful part of the gospel. This is the beautiful part of God. Yeah, he lets us go our own way. But what does he do when we cry out to him and call for help? He shows up. But in the face of unbelief, he hides his face. We actually see this as Jesus dies on the cross. Right? Jesus takes on the sin of the world. What does that mean? It means he took on your and my unbelief and everybody else who hasn't believed, won't believe, or who might eventually believe. But he takes on all of that unbelief on the cross. And what happens to him? Scriptures tell us that God hid his face from him, from his own son. God's response to unbelief is not to run us down and drag us back. It's to hide his face. Friends, I wonder if what you and I experience in those moments or those seasons when we feel that God is distant, that he is away, that in fact he has left us. That in fact he has said, I'm not going down that road with you. Perhaps he is distant. Perhaps he has left. Perhaps in that moment, Jesus has seen our unbelief. He has pulled himself away. But here's the good news. He's not gone yet, is he? I mean, as we read this story in John, he pulls himself away, he hides his face, but we know that even in just a few verses, he's going to be back. Jesus returns. It makes me wonder as I think about what his motivation here, right? Because he's not pouting in the corner. He's not angry. He's himself. It makes me wonder if he pulls his presence away so that all those who are around who are kind of taking him for granted might realize what it's like when he is gone. And he will be. I mean, that was the whole point of the last sermon that we preached, that he's leaving soon, and there's only so much time that we have. Jesus pulls away so that those who do not believe, who have not believed, and those who do believe but won't tell anybody about it suddenly realize what it's like to not have Jesus there. Have we ever experienced that? Right? We've gone our own way, we've done our own things, we've rebelled in our own stuff, 
And suddenly we realize we've been doing this on our own for ourselves without him. And it hurts so much that what do we do? We turn around like, Jesus, I need you now. And he's there, isn't he? He's there for the one who loves him, the one who believes in him. We struggle with belief sometimes, though, don't we? We struggle with belief sometimes. This week at community group, we accidentally landed in a passage that I hadn't intended to go to, but it made all the sense in the world. And that's Mark chapter 9. Zane, I'm slightly out of order, just so you know. I'm usually putting stuff up here. In chapter 9, we encounter a father with a demon-possessed son. He's at his wit's end. He's done. He has no help, no hope, nothing to help his son with. And he thinks maybe, just maybe, Jesus might be able to help. He comes to Jesus and says, Lord, you might be able to do this. He says, you might be able to help. And what happens? Jesus looks at him and says, to those who believe, to those who believe. Friends, the father cries out, help my unbelief. Maybe you need to cry, to cry out that same kind of a thing today. Help my unbelief. I know there are days when I do, when, when I read the word and Jesus is saying it's this and that, and, and I look at it and I'm like, Lord, I'm having a hard time believing this. The answer is, Lord, help my unbelief. Why do we pray this? Why does the Father turn to Jesus and pray this? It's because he knows the only help to unbelief is who? Jesus. He can't soften his own heart. He can't make himself believe. I mean, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us that faith is a gift from God. It only comes from him. And so we pray that our hearts would be softened when they're not. We pray that our kids or our family members or our friends' hearts would be softened when they're not. We pray to God, who's the only one who can do it. Where's your heart today? Time for an examination. If you were at men's group this week, we used this Bible verse. It's interesting how God uses to, uh, to bring uh, forward things to use on Sunday morning. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Before I read this, have you ever had an examination from a doctor? I assume yes. Right? Every year, at least people of age roughly mine and up, get all kinds of tests and screenings and this and that just to know whether or not there's something wrong. There might not be. There's no symptoms of anything. But sometimes we need to submit ourselves to certain tests so that we can know before there's a problem. This is one of those prayers that we can pray. Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24. says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes there's no symptoms. And we still need to pray. We need to say, Lord, where's my belief right now? Where am I in faith? That's a prayer we should pray most days, honestly. That many of us need to. 
Okay, so we've looked at belief, or unbelief rather, and we've looked at what Jesus' response to unbelief is, but what about the faithful response? Some of you may have been studying this already, trying to figure out, all right, how is he going to get a faithful response out of this? Some of you are looking at this passage going, man, I don't see a lot of light here. And you're right, there's not. Except where there is. And isn't that the way that God works? That so often things are so dark and hard to see. In verse 41, John gives us this tiny detail. It is a gift to us today. It says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, and spoke of him. Isaiah said these things, right? These two quotes about the unbelief. Because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Friends, who is him? Jesus. Wait, so you're telling me that all the way back in the Old Testament, when Isaiah the prophet is called by God to become a prophet and to preach and to share the news of of God, he's taken up into heaven. Who does he see? Jesus. So John says that this is why he said these things. Isaiah sees Jesus and it causes him to write what he writes. See, Isaiah is called into ministry through this crazy vision, whisked into the throne room of heaven. He speaks with God. He hears this. This is not the normal way most of us are called into ministry, but it happens sometimes. And so before the Jews even had language for the Trinity, Isaiah, the prophet, sees Jesus. And it changes him. It changes him. Could Isaiah have experienced what he experienced and then simply gone back to life as it was before? No. No. There's a preacher named Paul Washer who gives this illustration. He says, imagine you and I have a meeting and get to the meeting late. And I get to the meeting late. We sit down and I tell you that I'm late because as I was getting out of my car, I stumbled into the road and a truck hit me. You'd think I was either mad or a liar. Why? Because nobody has an encounter with a truck and walks away unchanged, right? Friends, what is bigger, a truck or God? If you can't walk away from a truck unchanged, from an encounter with a truck, then friends, we are not going to walk away from God, an encounter with God unchanged. It changes Isaiah. Think about how much it must have changed him. All right, as we think about his call, God says, Isaiah, I want you to do a job for me. I want you to go out, tell everybody that they're not going to believe in me. Tell everybody that that nothing good is going to come of any of this. And guess what? You're going to do it for the rest of your life. 
Imagine that if God came to us right now and said, let's see, who can I pick on? Scott, I want you to go to dinner with your neighbor and call out his sin. He's going to curse you and kick you out of his house and maybe beat you before you get there. Go, right? Or, who else can I pick on? Stu. <laughs> he says, I want you to go over to your boss. This doesn't work for you. He wants you to go over to your boss's house and tell them how much of a big, fat sinner they are. Or imagine that God says, Carol, I want you to spend the next 25 years working to plant a church with other people. Nothing will ever come of it. How many of us if God said one of these things, we'd be like, yay, let's go. But what did Isaiah do? Isaiah goes, why? Because he encountered God. He encountered Christ. And it prompted him to live the worst life we, he could ever live. And he seems joyful about it. Imagine if the final words of today's passage described Isaiah. For Isaiah loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We'd have no idea what happened in this part of the Bible. Wouldn't be there. Friends, with the possible exception of a few of us, God's call in our lives was nowhere near as hard as his call was to Isaiah. It wasn't. For most of us, God makes this incredibly simple and doable in his strength. First, love God and love people. Second, obey his commands. Third, put sin to death. God's call in our lives is not hard if we have met Jesus. But it is impossible if we haven't. Are you living within God's will? Are you living within God's power? Are you living within God's commands? Are you following him? Friends, the opposite of unbelief is, of course, what? Belief. And in the Bible and in all of Christianity, belief is not a mental or emotional exercise. It produces a life that comes out of our mental and our emotional understanding. Belief is something we do, not just something we have. If I believe that this building is on fire, and I fear for my life and for yours, would it make any sense for me to grab a cup of coffee, settle in, and ask you how your week has been? No. Or would I yell out, grab a hold of as many of you as I can, and run to safety? Of course, it's the latter. Because our belief in something should prompt us to something. To a new life empowered by him, beyond our means, beyond our measure. 
Friends, it is time, if it isn't begun already, to let our belief in Christ determine our lives, determine our steps, our actions, our thoughts, our decisions, our everything. It's time. You cannot walk away from an encounter with Christ unchanged. And there are some of us who try. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that, that we would be a people that are driven by our encounter with you, Lord. I pray that if there is anyone in this room right now who has not encountered you, not encountered the risen Son of God, the one who died for us, that we might live, God, I pray that today would be the day they, they reach out. Well, I don't care if they've been confessing as, as Christians for the last 70 years where today is the first day they've ever heard the name of jesus god i pray that that anyone here who is who is lost in that would be found in you lord i thank you and i praise you for the work that you're doing here in this place and in our hearts amen